All right, come with me to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in the 24th chapter where Israel has just finished its wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has passed away and the mantle, so to speak, has fallen onto the shoulders of Joshua, a faithful, faithful servant of God, as well as a faithful servant to Moses. And the people now have reached the point where they're going to be crossing into the land that was originally promised hundreds of years before to Abraham. So it's a big event. And Joshua is giving them an exhortation for them and for the following generations. And I have taken this in my mind as something that I think we need to consider as well. Just one verse. Verse 15, chapter 24 Joshua, as he exhorts the children of Israel, says this. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, and there's only one Lord who's referred to in the Bible, you know that. It's not any God you make up. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or... The gods of the Amorite, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just that one verse will be the springboard text I'll use today to talk to you about. You choose, God decides. The basic principle of life is that life is guided by the will. The will is very simple to understand its only function is to say yes or no. That's it. That's all you need to know about the will. But you need to really appreciate that your life is being guided by your will. Yes or no. The function of the will is to make decisions. Now, not all decisions are easy. And some are more complicated. Some decisions are more complicated than others. But the will is very easy to understand. Let me give you an example, something very simple. When I walk, and I've always done this, it's not a new habit, I always try to stretch up to the full height of my body. There's a lot of good reasons for that, but that's my decision. I don't walk humped. And again, there's reasons, no sense going into it. I walk upright, stretched out to all six feet of me. That is a decision, simple as it is. It's a decision, a simple decision. But not every decision that we make is all that simple or easy, for example. And you can read on this. Some of you like to follow up and read on these things. In the beginning of the Second World War, as you know, England was attacked by the Germans. Churchill, Winston Churchill, who was the prime minister, had an exceptionally difficult decision to make. He had a choice to make. This was the choice. The British Secret Service cracked the code the Germans were using and they were able to intercept their messages. But one message in particular was that they discovered, Churchill discovered through the Secret Service, that the Germans were planning on attacking Coventry, a very important industrial city in England. Obviously, there's people that live there and other considerations. And the decision that Churchill had to make was this. Evacuate the entire city, save, well, I guess it turned out to be about 1,400 people, save some lives, or let it be as it is, knowing there was going to be a casualty list, 
but not alerting the Germans that they're now interpreting their messages so that they could have a greater good in the end. And there's varying opinions about this story, but it seems to be credible that the decision that Churchill made was to allow the city to be attacked, not alerting the Germans that they're now understanding the messages that they're sending. Great damage, loss of lives occurred at Coventry. And I do wonder, since having read on Churchill, that he often suffered from Great Depression. Won't go into his biography, but he suffered from Great... I'm just wondering what type of depression must have hit him for this decision that he made, knowing people were going to die, so that in the end, more lives would be saved, which is how it was historically. It's how it played out. What would you do if you were in that same position, knowing that by not alerting these citizens, your fellow countrymen, that their lives are going to be taken by the Germans? But if we don't alert the Germans that we know about this, we can save more lives in the end, especially attacking London and so on. I just wonder what the weight was on that particular decision, not including all the rest of the choices leaders have to make, in this case Churchill, what type of weight was on his shoulder when he made that decision to not acknowledge that they knew what was going to happen? Now, again, in conspiracy theories, the same as talked about with Pearl Harbor. I don't know if it's true. that the president of the United States, FDR, knew about it, but allowed the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor to get us in the war. That's a theory, and I'm not able to give an intelligent opinion about whether it's true or not. I don't know. However, I do know that everybody on the planet has the responsibility to make choices. And if you say, well, I, you know, I don't really make choices, that's a choice. That's what William James said, the American philosopher. He said, to not make a choice is a choice. Where do we find that in the scriptures? Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Someone could object and say, I never said I was against you. But Jesus just said, if you're not with me, you are against me. And as I've often told you, Jesus, one of the unique things about Jesus, he never let people stay in a neutral position, accept them or reject them. Same with the Bible. You have to accept it or you reject it, either in part or in whole. Those are decisions that we make. And you, right at this very moment, and will be to the end, which we sang about earlier, your life will be the sum total of the choices you made. You choose, and God decides on all the other of the considerations in your case and the case of the world. You choose. You choose. And you cannot avoid in this life but to make a choice. Now, as a pastor, well, even as a father, I'm prone to hear a lot of excuses. And I'm prone to hear others blame. But unfortunately, in the end of it all, God just shakes his head and he says, no, you are responsible for your life. You are responsible to make choices. Some people, and you may be one of them here today, you just rather defer and not make a choice. But once again, in the words of William James, to not make a decision is a decision. You have decided not to decide. It's a choice. And so we sing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And then it says, no going back. No going back. This is something we all have to do. And this is something that Joshua was presenting to the children of Israel. Choose the God you're going to serve. Choose. Choose the Lord, Jehovah, Jesus, 
or choose the gods that your fathers served or choose the gods of the land where you're going but choose let me say this I know that a lot of you are placed in situations that a lot of it you had nothing to do with it but once you're in it you have choices to make you may say I don't want to make choices and that's a choice the expression that I like to use why worry when you can pray is an old one it's not original with me that's for sure but when we're dealing with a problem, instead of talking about the problem, let's talk about what we're going to do about the problem and make a choice. Which way will you go? And that's a choice. And some of you are facing today perhaps some of the most difficult choices you're ever going to face, but you still must make a decision. You must choose. C.S. Lewis wrote this, and this is where we're headed, by the way. He wrote these words, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. And went on to say, God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in. This time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror unto every creature. And we read that in the book. It will be too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. Now, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Now, right now, it's not for later. As we see here again in Joshua 24, 15, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose what God you're going to serve. But then it goes on to say, but for me in my house, and this, by the way, and I'll get to this a little bit later, biblically, a man is to be the priest of the home, not the dictator, and certainly not just another appendage to the house. He is to be ordained by God to be a leader. Now you may say, wow, I didn't know that when I got married and had children. Too bad. Now you know. And if you, you know, are a single mom, then you are the leader, not your children. The scripture says, children obey your parents in the Lord. Not parents obey your children in the Lord. Got into a conversation with my mom yesterday about the old days. Talked about her father, my grandfather, her brother, and others, two brothers, stepbrother. And the men that she and I have known, my dad included, I know what they ever said. Who's in charge here? Let me just say it plain, okay? They were men who acted like men. I don't recall any of the men in my family being cruel. You certainly knew when you're off the mark. You, sir, are chosen to be the leader. You said, I don't want to be the leader. Well, now you've made a choice. So don't keep up the whining when you haven't made a choice because someone in that house is going to make a choice for you. It's like children. You have a bunch of children together and we don't have a teacher, any teachers like this, but let's say if we did and I'm talking to the head of the Christian Education Children's Department, so what's your plan? Oh, I just get led. I don't have a plan for the kids. Well, guess what? They've got a plan for you. <laughs> That's the truth. We all must make choices, whether it's pleasant or not. We have to make a choice. Eleanor Roosevelt, she once said this, and this is true. 
She said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. I believe that is true. I believe that is the case. So you are right now the sum total of all the choices that you have made in your lifetime, whether it's a short life or a longer life. Some of us have lived a longer life. The sum total of the choices. Let me go back to this song. I was reading the Bible in my early, early 20s, probably around 20. But it was three years later when my wife and I, and we were still dating at the time, made a choice. We decided to follow Jesus and took the word seriously, no turning back, no turning back. For me, that also meant no equivocation, no compromise, and so on. All these years, there's been plenty of difficult choices to make to compromise. But for me, as Joshua said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And whatever comes along with that, because being in position of leadership, some of you came in here today, you didn't think of yourself as a leader. But if you live all by yourself, you're the leader of the house. You're a single mom, you're the leader of the house. You're in a normal marriage, husband, wife, children, Sir, you're the leader. And God shows you to be the leader. And it is not easy. Always remember this is something I tell people over and over again. Simple does not mean easy. I can show you right now. It wouldn't take me 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds, to show you how to do a push-up. But doing 100 of them in a row is not easy. Simple. It's not easy. Following Christ, someone just asked me the other night, what do you need to do to be born again? So I didn't complicate the matter. Ask Christ into your heart. Read the Bible and pray. In this particular case, this individual cannot get out of the home. His home. Otherwise, the next bit of advice was to find a church where they preach and teach the Bible and fellowship and so forth. It's simple. It's a simple decision. But it's not easy to live for the Lord. And sometimes in this age, it's not easy to identify with the Lord. But has it ever been easy? No, it's never been easy. But it's still a choice that we have to make. And you choose. If there wasn't some purpose for us to be here after we received Christ, then I imagine the way it would go would be like this. You're born again. Christ, I receive you. And he takes you straight up. But there's a reason that we're here. There's a reason we're being tested and tried. And all of it gets down to the fact that you have to make a decision. And you can say, I'm deferring the decision. You've made a decision to defer the decision to see if you even want to decide. And I'm talking about Jesus now. I could throw this in just at no extra cost for you. If you're going to get married, you're young, people choose your partner wisely. But since that's not my topic, I will tell you how I put it into a succinct statement for younger people. Select, don't settle. An Irish proverb says, marry the one who loves you, not the one you love. The idea being that it would be reciprocated These are all decisions. Let me go a little further with this relationship. Whenever I do a wedding ceremony, I go through traditional vows. A decision is made, and I make sure that the couple understands this. You're making a decision when you say before God and witnesses, for better or worse, 
But the imagination of our naive selves when we're younger is that it's not going to get worse. Everything's going to get better. For richer, for poorer. You didn't get richer, you're getting poorer. In sickness and in health. And forsaking all others. That means there's not going to be another woman or another man. That's a decision that you take if you took traditional marriage vows, as I did, and the ones I certainly give. And I have told you this. I'll have people in the congregation pick up on some of the things that I say. And this is sort of an oblique reprimand. You know, other churches don't do it that way. It happened right here in this sanctuary. A woman came up. She came marching up. You know, you said, I was aware of what I said. You know, you said, and then she said to me, she said, you know, even the Catholic Church doesn't do that anymore. I said, ma'am, this isn't the Catholic Church. You have no idea how great a pastor I could be without people. I was at a wedding once where, right during the rehearsal, the bride, the night before the wedding, we went through the vows. It was a wedding I was doing as a courtesy. And I said, now, at this part, you know, you're going to say, you know, will you love her and keep her and forsaking all this? And then you're going to say you will love and obey. And she was smart enough to pick up on the difference. And she said to me directly, I'm not saying that. I said, yes, you are. We were in a chapel up on a hill. It was beautiful. But out that window, you could see my car. So I told her, I said, this is in front of everybody. I said, oh, yes, you are. Well, you see that car there? I'm getting in that car right now. I'm going home. And I wasn't here locally. The thing about it is that people who know me know that I don't say things idly. If I say it, I intend to follow through. And they knew. <laughs> I said, you're going to say it. Or I'm getting in that car, and you can find between tonight and tomorrow who's going to do your service. But it won't be me. And I said, furthermore, if you have a problem with that, go home and talk to God. Because I didn't write that any more than I wrote the Bible. Young man over here, wasn't born again. Jewish kid, he came up to me. Young man, he was smiling. He said, man, that was great. <laughs> He said, man, that was great. Well, it wasn't anything great about it. It's just that I'm not compromising. I'm here as a courtesy to you. And then you want, what do I look like? I'm not a hireling. I made a choice based on God's choice for me to be a pastor. A choice that at times I've said to myself, well, there was other things I could have did. But I'm here all these years. And with God's grace, I'll continue to be because I've made that choice. And it's a long haul. But it don't matter because I have decided and I'll ask you at this point concerning your life in general, what have you decided? I say we, it's not me, but some like to go on Facebook and blame, bum, 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 bum. Look, if you got a problem with one of your friends on Facebook, just take them out. I don't mean that literally. I mean, just <laughs> unfriend them, block them. I don't let people know I'm blocking you. I just block them and I never hear from them again. Ta-da. That was my decision. If someone's irritating me, and I've had this happen, do something obnoxious, I just simply block them. I don't say to them, you're about to be blocked. I don't need to. I block them. I unfriend them. And their toxicity goes with it. I don't have to go through a rant that's this long. I just don't need to. I've made a decision. You will no longer be friends with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I wouldn't pray for them. Just will not put up with your nonsense. And if I could give you my opinion, I think we need just a little bit more of that, not just on social media, but everywhere. When we say, look, I'm not putting up with your nonsense anymore. I've made a decision for my life. And you know, in the end, that's what it gets down to. I don't make decisions for all of you. 
I make decisions for me. And I'm jumping ahead when Joshua said, as for me and my house, the presumption is his children are small. But when they're grown, even if they're in the house, we don't control what has become of them, the choices they made. But in my home, the door knocker literally has this voice, uh, this verse rather. So if you were to knock on the door, which nobody does, and if you ring the bell, it don't work, so you better knock. That's what it says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I had a young guy one time that was putting in a new kitchen floor. And he said to me while he was working, he said, you know, I've never had a job just turn out this easy. Everything's going so smoothly. So I said to him, that's because in this house, there's an unseen guest who's helping you. He looked at me like, I said, it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's what he told me. I've never had a job go this easy. Because I have decided to dedicate all that I have. I have in my office my original guitar that I used in a group I played with back in 1975. That I anointed once I left the group. A decision. Lord, I will now sing my songs for you. I've not become famous because of that decision. I've not become rich because of that decision. I've not become anything because of that decision. It just was a decision I wanted to make to sing my songs and use my voice to glorify God. That was my decision. Life is guided by the will. If you forget anything from this message other than the scripture verse, just remember your life is being guided by your will. Now we're in a position here in our constitutional republic where we have all these people to blame. And certainly some of them are to blame for a lot of the problems that we have. But at the end of the day, whether you're bitter and angry or frightened or whatever, that's your decision. You don't control your sensations. You don't control your feelings. You don't even control, technically speaking, you don't control your emotions, what you're feeling, but you control what you do with your feelings. Whether you blab it out all over the place or just keep yourself composed. And that's not easy. But these are decisions. These are decisions we make. Most everybody here, if not everybody here, knows the name Pavarotti. Luciano Pavarotti, the great Italian tenor. And the story goes that he tells, or told, when he was a boy, his father was the one that introduced him into music, into song. And so he decided to follow that path. Went to school, college, studied music. And at the end, he asked his father this question, whether he should be a teacher, music teacher, or a singer. And this was the advice his father gave to him and the advice I'm giving to you. He says, Luciano, in life you cannot sit on two chairs because it won't hold you. You're not really on one, you're not really on the other. Eventually you're going to fall. And that's when Luciano Pavarotti decided to be a singer, an opera singer. And he struggled for years practicing his vocals, struggled for years before he made it to the Metropolitan Opera and, of course, stardom and fame. But it was all based on a decision whether to be this, which might have been the easier way, become a teacher, or at least, in, let's say, in today's society, that would have been, you know, a lot of benefits and time off or whatever. But we never would have heard of his name. But instead, he decided to follow his gifts and his talents. And now we remember Pavarotti for... Uh, who he was as an exceptionally gifted preacher. What was he? Singer. He was a singer, yes. He wasn't a preacher. I'm a preacher. He said this, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration. Making decisions leads to frustration. It sure does at times. But I made my first professional appearance, or before I made my first professional appearance, it took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera, and now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, 
whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment. That's the key. Yeah. Choose one chair. Now, you can be a jack-leg mechanic. You're not really a master at anything. But if you've read biographies, as I have, on those who have mastered certain areas of life and their gifts and talents, they were totally in, 100% in, 100% in. Now, God, he helps us with this because he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And let's face the facts and let's face the truth. Not everybody, including sitting in this room, has made that choice. And we must make that choice. And the more I accent that verse in my own mind, I don't do it for you. I don't do it for my wife. I don't do it for my children, my grandchildren, my community, my neighborhood, not really even for my country. I do it for myself. And then in the hopes that that will be an example for others to follow. But it's my choice to love the Lord with all of my heart, with my intellect, with my body, with anything that I have. And it's a huge task, but it's a choice. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for me, without, you know, some preachers I think make a living out of being rude and obnoxious and somewhat arrogant. And then use Jesus and just slap Jesus' label on it. When the truth is, they're just being arrogant and rude. I don't endeavor to be rude or arrogant. If you had seen me with a football uniform on many years ago, I was this way on the football field. I was one of the co-captains. And this is the way I approach the team. So you're just seeing me when I'm committed to something like God. In any case, it's not a show. I'm not acting. And when we come to this truth, that we are what we chose to be. You say, well, I didn't know my life was going to turn out this way, but you were instructed in the Bible about choices. And choices ultimately lead to a destination. I thought to myself just this past week about something very simple. I thought about the sunrise and I thought about the sunset. Very simple. And I said to myself, that alone begins to teach all people everywhere that everything has a beginning and it has an end. When Buddy Rich, the great drummer, was asked about drum solos, he said, well, it's like any piece of music. The drum solo has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Everything in this life, not the next, has a beginning and an end. And it's our choices that lead to an end. And we must come to a place, concerning the gospel especially, where we have a desired end. Now, this is what I want to be. You know, we have this thing going around now. Preachers, animated, many of them are younger. That you're going to go to say to God, I am what I always was. What are you talking about? There's something called conversion. You're converted. So I don't get some of these guys. Just get up and tell God, I am now going to be what I was always. You would be gone by now if I was the same person I was 40 plus years ago, talking the way I used to talk. Well, certainly the ladies would be gone. And the rest of you would be studying me as a curiosity in abnormal psychology. You say, I'd never heard anything like this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Because I'm not what I used to be. I am what God has made me to be. Not what I've always been. What are you talking about? You people are talking about preachers. Hey, you know what? Want a good sermon? Read your Bible. And read it a lot. Pavarotti became what he is 
or at least what he was, because he made a choice. And we can go down the line for many, many people that we know and admire because they made a choice. I'm simply saying to you that the first choice you have to make a decision about is God in Christ Jesus. And I started to say that the Apostle Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have a few Christian t-shirts. I told you I don't put bumper stickers on my car. There's a reason for that. And the main reason has always been from the beginning. I was always concerned I would do something stupid on the road that have one of these bumper stickers, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and you know, people who criticize us, many times they have legitimate complaints. I've seen people with bumper stickers, not just on the bumper, but all over the car, over the hood. And I think it would be better off if they just acted like a Christian. But I'm always concerned that I'm going to do something dumb, not have a chance to explain myself that I didn't mean to cut you off or whatever, and have the bumper sticker there. I've told people in private, I said, one of the reasons that I haven't lost my temper with some people is because it just don't seem to work to smash their head and then be in the pulpit and say, Jesus loves you. <laughs> It just doesn't seem to go together. But let me tell you something else. What doesn't go together is the cowardly lion who stays cowardly all his stinking life. God may take you up when you were a coward, but he will not keep you a coward. He will make you to fit in somewhere in his mind in that Hebrews hall of faith where you can say, this is what I was, fearful or lustful or whatever. But that's not what I am now. Because God has converted me because I chose to follow Jesus. Well, sure, Jesus calls us first. He wasn't lost. You were. But when he finds us and he says, come follow me, a decision must be made. A decision must be made. One that must be carried through your whole life. I want to say to you again, as I have in the past and I've told others, 46 years, there has never been a day ever that I said, I think I should just go back to the world. I've had moments of other situations and temptations, but that's never been one. I've never looked out and said, wow, this is a great place. I'm sorry I left it. I'm not. I'm not. This book saved my life. Amen. Today, you think about it. If you were at war, and we are at war, and you saw the army come like this with their hands shaking, not even sure they're going to point the gun, do you think they're doing much honor to the people that called them into service? Or would you rather be like the Spartans at Thermopylae and told the enemy, here we are. Lay down your weapons. What do they say? Come and get them. You want my weapon? Come and take it. Circe said, but we'll have so many arrows that will blot out the sun. He says, good, then we'll fight in the dark. See, those people made a decision. Now, they all died. But they're the people that we want to read about. Not the cowardly lions that said, okay, we'll lay down our weapons. Who admires that? Do you go out to the library to look for books about cowards? Or do you look for people who have actually made decisions? Can I just slip in hypochondria? Oh, you know, here goes. Probably a tumor. <laughs> How come every time we get a chest pain, it's always a heart attack? And I'll tell you why. Because the media, and I mean television and otherwise, has programmed this into our head. You watch the television, it says, depression medication not working? Sometimes it doesn't. You've got to add this. And I'm certain that the people who made the commercial are only thinking of me. Yeah. They're not thinking about the gobs of money. They're walking around in wheelbarrows to keep us medicated on anything. How's your heart? Why? Why are you asking? <laughs> you been getting skipped beats? Yeah. Could be atrial fib. Could kill you. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Praise God. 
We have choices between good, better, and best. I think those are some difficult choices sometimes. This is good. That's even better. But that's the best. That's how I view Jesus. I can make some choices that I think that are good, and I can make some choices that I think are better, but it's up to us to decide whether we're going to choose what's best. I was reading a little bit about Walt Disney, and in particular, the production of Snow White, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Are we allowed to say dwarfs? (laughs) Seven sweet little guys. (laughs) So apparently, you know, Walt Disney was a real perfectionist. He thought a lot about the pacing of the cartoons, like some directors think about the movie. One of his animators, Ward Kimball, relates the story of the making of Snow White, one of his biggest hits, 1936. He tells the story of how he worked for 240 hours. That's a lot of hours. Six weeks. He worked day and night for six weeks on a segment of Snow White that's four and a half minutes long. And so it was apparently a scene where the seven little sweet God-made people were feeding Snow White. And uh, he showed it, after six weeks of work, he was showing it to Disney, and he's one of the animators working on the entire film. And Disney said, this is great. It's hilarious. He said, but it's interfering with the pacing of the film. Out it went. Six weeks of work, six weeks of artwork, drawing, because it just doesn't fit. And here's the thing. What things in your life needs to be on the cutting room floor because it just doesn't fit? I have thought to myself many times, and I'm not saying that, hey, look at me, because if you see me, you just see the greatest example of a Christian there ever ever was. I'm not saying that. I know it's not true. But I am saying this. I have thought to myself many times the reason I wouldn't be a Christian. I know why I am. The reason I wouldn't be a Christian is because of the things that should have been cut out of their lives that hasn't been cut out of their lives that leads to a conclusion, however erroneous, that this is really not the truth. This is what Gandhi, this is the conclusion Gandhi came to. Let me tell you the story. Mohandas Gandhi went to law school in England, came out as a lawyer, as you know, became the modern leader of India through his efforts and attempts to free India from British rule. But when he was younger, he entertained, of course he was in England, he entertained the thought of being a Christian. It's very important, especially with social media. He entertained the thought of being a Christian. So he lived for a while, a short while, with some Christian missionaries. The missionaries would go out, and preachers do this. Jesus loves you. Amen. You guys are great. You've been great tonight. You're just great. And then go home and complain. What a bunch of knuckleheads I pastor. And people pick up on that. Well, that's what the missionaries were doing. They were going out and talking about, you got to be saved. And then when they go back, and Gandhi would overhear their conversations. Hey, what's wrong with these people and all that? He convinced himself that the gospel could not be true based on the behavior of missionaries. Now, it's not a valid conclusion because it doesn't have anything to do with Christ, but still. Right to his dying day, he had a copy of the New Testament with him and always read the Sermon on the Mount. But my point is, do you want to be known as the person that turned people away from the gospel because of the fact that you didn't make the choices you were supposed to? My favorite thing is the weather. Even when I got up this morning, it was gloomy, dismal, dreary. I got to be here to play and sing and preach and all that. So you just get up and do your duty. I don't want to be the person that turns somebody else off from Christ. And again, I'm not saying I'm perfect, so it probably happened. I just don't want to go down in the record. I don't want to be quoting Psalm 34.4 or singing it. 
They're always fearful. Again, I go back to the cowardly lion and the Wizard of Oz. In my mind, Christians should be intrepid. We are not to fear. Notice in the book of the Revelation, the people who don't make the kingdom at the top of the list, the fearful and unbelieving. And I'm a person who teaches a lot about anxiety and depression. Shake yourself, man. You say, well, that's too simple. I've been around this thing a long, long time. And unless you want a boatload or a bucket full of pills, do what Samson did and shake yourself. So wake up, man. I mean, you're talking to yourself now. Like the commercial, remember? Years ago? What was it, Aqua Velva? That's a bit logistically difficult to slap yourself, but just, thanks, I needed that. Those are the old days. Today, who knows what that commercial would be? Oh, <laughs> oh poor baby. Don't worry about how you smell. You choose, God decides, because he respects your choices. We need to have some things put onto the cutting room floor of our lives. I'm in situations frequently that I don't like. I won't tell you the circumstances to the story, but there was a situation, you know, an event that I had to attend, and I was being advised not to go. It was hot, and there were some other dynamics that everybody who knew me knows that this isn't you. And this is what I said. I'll come back from where we're going in a body bag first before I give in to my personal proclivities of things I don't like. I'll come back zipped up in a black bag before I give in to fear and frustration and all those things. And I'm saying to you that I think this is a Christ-honoring position. It's a choice not to be fearful. And that's a choice. Oh, your sensations. I told you, they come and they go. You don't control that. But you control your thoughts. You control your actions. You could stand up straight and tall and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to them that believe. When I first started reading the Bible, that was even before I met my wife. I had a job as a lifeguard in the YMCA. And I'd sit there and, you know, sometimes hours, nobody's swimming. So a lot of free time. So I did what I usually do. That's where I taught myself to play the guitar. And also to just do a lot of reading. So I started reading the Bible. And there was another lifeguard there too. And he was reading the Bible. And we would talk. I knew nothing. I'd never even met a Christian. And I was confused, by the way, reading through the Bible and... I'd take it with me to work, but what I did is I put it in my gym bag. It's an easy place to carry it. I'd get on the bus, took the bus home, and I'd sit way in the back, very last seat. Slip the Bible out. I'd start reading. Now if I saw somebody get on, I'd just close it and put it back in the thing. Why is that? Because I was ashamed. I had a reputation as being a tough guy. Tough guys don't read the Bible. Tough guys are obnoxious and rude and stupid. Thank you. <laughs> Tough guys walk around like this, like say in the gym. And basically they're saying, and you can hear like, if you can read thoughts, you got a problem? You see how big my arms are? Let me tell you something, when you're the real deal in any field, you don't have to prove nothing. Somebody called me out, wasn't that long ago, that's the truth. Said, you're just a broken old man. He don't know it. Think I'm a broken old man? I don't have to talk about what can I do, I know what I can do. But back in those days, well, I didn't want anybody to see me reading the Bible. And when I went to the church, you talk about people that just aren't me. You know, these aren't my kind of people. And Jesus spoke, God spoke to me one night. He said, are you ashamed of them? Because I'm not. Got that message. So Mr. Tough Guy had to walk into the church with people who were, you know, not acclimated in that way. And that's where you begin to learn humility first. But in the process, if I may say so, God instructs you and teaches you how the bar of iron is bent by my hands, by the Spirit of God. What Samson did, he was my favorite character, next to Jesus, 
Samson was my favorite character. He did it by the spirit of the Lord. I mean, his physical strength came from the spirit of God. Well, eventually, I said, boy, you got to make a decision, Barnett. You ashamed of this or you're not ashamed of this? So in my own way, this is what I did. Now I started bringing my Bible out and putting it right there. I don't mean on the pulpit either. It's easy to put it on the pulpit. You all got Bibles here. You go to work, someone's sitting there and put it on the shelf in my locker. You read that thing, you've heard that story, but there's more. That's not the only story, George. Read that book. So why do you think I pulled back out? I said, why do you think I got it with me? You see, you got to play offense. You got to get off the defense. The enemy's attacking me. Attack him back. Didn't you ever read Ephesians 6? You got a sword. Or be forever bullied. Your thought life, everywhere you go, you want to be a Christian, but... Yeah, uh, well, yeah, do I know him? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, well, do you know him? Yes. yes or no? This is for out there. This isn't for in here. We're all churches, you know, and we're all, amen. Out there, it's like, thank you, Lord. I'm not saying scream and yell when you pray over your meal. Do you pray over your meal when you're in a diner? Yeah. I watched two women. I wanted to go over and talk to them, but I didn't. They prayed. You know, I could see they were Christians. I was like, praying. They've been praying for about 10 minutes. And I wanted to just go over and shake their hand. I just didn't. You could tell these women weren't ashamed. What do you choose today? What do you choose? You must, because God requires it, make up your mind. We talk and we hear about illegal immigrants. Now they're coming up. Texas got smart and said, well, send them to New York City. <laughs> New York City got smart and said, we'll send them upstate. And I'll tell you how I look at it at the moment. Since we won't go overseas, God says, get in there. For me, the solution is convert them. If Americans are ashamed of Jesus, maybe they won't be. It's a unique picture, huh? Let's go before the Lord. I still think from time to time, and it's getting closer, when I'm 80, oh well, God willing, I should say, I want to be like Caleb. I want to be able to say, you know what? I've got one more mountain I'm going to take. I don't want to be form bent. I don't want to have my eyes looking down at the floor and saying, oh, poor me. I want to stand up to my full height and ask God that I could be as strong as these men of the Bible. And I'm praying for you that you would do the same. Let's take a moment right now to decide. First of all, are you actually born again? Someone just asked me that a few nights ago. Are you actually really born again? And the reason we have so much confusion about all the stuff that we hear is because there's a misunderstanding of what it means to be born again. It means you're going to live a spiritual life. But we'll save that for another time for further explanation. But to stay on the mark with my message here... It means that you have decided to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Publicly. Does not mean they have to you know, walk around all the time and letting everybody know. Just you're ready. You're asked the question. Hey, I heard you're one of them born again Christians. Like I've been asked a thousand times. My answer is that's right. Are you born again? And if you know that you are, well, that's great. And that's good because God's working in your life like he's working in mine. And the lessons, they just continue on. But what, like Walt Disney's Snow White, what needs to be taken out? It's a small little part. You spent a lot of time on it. And God's saying, you know what? Cut it out. Just cut it out. Put it on the cutting room floor. Cut it out. For all of us, it's something different. But we all, I think, need to do it. Father, help us to make a good choice. You actually tell us in the book, not only to choose, you tell us what to choose. Choose the good. Choose me. Even help us with that, with your grace. Your word to choose you, to choose to be identified with Jesus Christ and the church. Help us in this age, as in every age, to be willing to choose 
Jesus. Help us, God. And help our countenance and our life and our behavior to portray the best that we can to portray that we are definitely not ashamed. Father, we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we give you the honor. For you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Today in Jesus' mighty name, people are making choices. I pray you help them, God, to make the right choice. Follow Christ no matter what. Read the book. Pray. Be in fellowship when you're supposed to be there. And lean not to their own understanding. Help us all to shake ourselves. To take an inventory that says, this has got to go on the cutting room floor. Take it out, slowing the pace of the movie of our lives. And today, God, I just simply trust that by your grace, you are changing and converting all of us. Continue, God, to pour out your spirit that many, many will come to you in these last days. Just help us to be good soldiers in this warfare. Again, we give you the praise. Lord, we say to you today, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Until then, we are commanded to occupy, which means to do our duty. And that takes a decision to do our duty. Everyone in this church has been called to do something for Jesus. Help them, God, to step forward and say, God wants me here, 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 here. So that our unemployment is zero. Everybody is taking a place in the army of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done, all you've promised, all you've given. And God, with our hands lifted up, we give you praise. Glory to your name. We give you praise. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless my brothers and sisters this morning. Wherever they're going, whatever they're going through. And so many people are going through a lot of things. Strengthen them. Heal them. Fill them. Help them, God. They walk out this door to go back out with a shine put back on them. Just like when I take my car through the car wash. All that dirt and grime and grit just comes off. The car is shining once again. Pour out your spirit, God. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Remind us this week to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And to love one another. And we give you the thanks for these things. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you give me a nice amen this morning? Amen. Amen.